Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Fried the Burnout Podcast. Fried fam, I have such a special episode for you today because today you actually for the very first time actually for the second time get to talk to someone who has been through burnout coaching with me and recovered that's number one number two you've been asking a lot about people who were able to keep their careers and their jobs and this when you kept asking about it this is the person that kept coming up in my mind because we worked together i know that she kept her job i know that she so i i knew what was happening and when i reached out i was a little nervous right because i was like is she going to want to tell her story on the podcast and she was so gracious so this week you get to meet meet monica wang who is a 39 year old veterinarian she lives and works in Dallas, Texas. She grew up in China and moved to the U.S. when she was seven, got her veterinarian degree in, at the University of Pennsylvania. Are you serious? You pen. And her Chinese medicine certifications at Chi University in Florida. So she, not only is she a vet, but she also does Chinese medicine for pets, which I just think is the best way ever. In a roundabout way, she rediscovered her culture through veterinary medicine, and now she offers Chinese medicine to pets like acupuncture, herbal medicine, etc. She's currently still living in Dallas with her husband, Justin, and their three pups, Mac, Widget, and Petey. Monica, it's been ages <laughs> since we had a conversation, it and I'm so excited been. to sort of rehear your burnout story and then talk about how it all unfolded and, and how we got to where you are today. So I'm going to take a back seat as I normally do. You know how this goes. You've listened to the podcast before. So I'm going to take a back seat and let you tell your burnout story. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Um, my burnout story started in veterinary school. And in vet school, we have this ideal person that we want to be, this ideal doctor. And anyone in the healthcare profession kind of have this kind of ideal. This ideal is someone who is infinitely compassionate. Um, it's infinite. It just like comes out of them and they cannot give compassion fatigue because that is who they are. And they also have compassion for not only animals, but their colleagues and their nurses and so forth. Um, and this person also always has the ability to have a second wind whenever they want. Um, and yes, they are tired because they're hardworking, but um, at any point, if it is needed, they can just like get the second wind with their infinite compassion. Um, and the third thing that they have is this ability to listen deeply. So this is a good bedside manner, doctor. Um, and if you go to ask them a question or if somebody needs them, they just stop what they're doing and they will listen intently and like give you the space that you need. So this is the ideal doctor that everyone wants to be them and also be treated by them. Um, and so this, this is the ideal that we all work towards. And sometimes we think we see someone who exhibits these traits and we think, my goodness, if I could just be that person and I want to work alongside them all the time, I'm going to do the specialty they're doing. I just want to be next to them. And somehow these people, when I look back, they've always had 
kind of deteriorating health. And I wish that I had said something back then, but it was just something that we ignored because they were everything. They exemplified everything. And so when we were in vet school, all of us students wanted to be that doctor. And so we all worked really hard so that we can we can do that. Um, my burnout story starts there because in veterinary school, we do basically two years of um, classroom work and then two years of um, hands-on work before we become vets. And during that time, we're basically nurses. Um, we go around and take care of patients. Um, that are in these various teaching hospitals, and we consult with the leading doctors on how to treat, what they're doing, choices they made, choices we would make, and we kind of learn that way. But primarily, we are nursing. Um, and so that's kind of where my story starts is in large animal rotations. So we have these rotations, uh, which is like two-week uh, periods where we go through different departments. Large animal rotation involves horses and cows and pigs and goats. Um, they're all really cute, um, but some of these animals are large animals and they are afraid and they don't want to get treated. And it takes a lot to do this work. Um, and each rotation has a team captain. This team captain has a amorphous role. They sort of are the mobs of the group. They don't there isn't really like a task that they have to do, but everyone knows like, hey, you can turn to this person if you need something. So I started off being team captain and I went to the previous team captain to ask her like, hey, can you give me some pointers on what I should be doing? I knocked on her door. She opened the door and I said, hey, I'm the next team captain for this rotation. Can you give me some pointers? She just burst into tears and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And like, close the door. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I'm just going to read the syllabus again. So that's how that um, rotation started. Thankfully, nothing happened when I was team captain. Um, the next rotation, somebody else was team captain and it was a surgery rotation and we had to help with surgeries. There was a particular surgery I was assigned to that I didn't want to do. And I just morally disagreed with, I just didn't want to be a part of it. Um, I asked my team captain, hey, can I switch surgeries with you? I'll do your surgery, you do mine, because I just have an issue with this. Um, and she said, yeah, of course. So we switched. She did that surgery, came out crying, and didn't talk to anyone for about a day. And she was the team captain. I mean, she needed to be accessible. And we were all shocked. Um, and I felt terrible, very guilty, because if I had known that was the outcome, I would have taken it. I would not have let her do that. There's a lot of kind of guilt to this kind of work. And then the third thing that happened was my team, I was not team captain, but my team came up to me and said, hey, today in class, you answered the professor wrong like you answered wrong like to her question and you should have known the answer we all know you know the answer your brain is not working can you please take a nap and i said <laughs> no <laughs> um i'm not taking a nap because i knew actually just a few days before i had my team had helped someone take a nap so one of my team members took a nap and we all took on her work and instead of going to bed at midnight, like we expect, we all went to bed around 2 a.m. And treatment started at 5 a.m. And we got up at 4.30-ish. That was just our day. 
But instead of sleeping at midnight, we slept at two because we were helping her take a break. And I knew that if I was to take a nap, my team members would be up for extra work and it would push them over the edge. And I couldn't do it. I was like, no, 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 please. And they said, no, you're not, your brain isn't working. It's, you're not functioning. Like, please take a nap. Um, and I ended up taking this nap. But what I learned in veterinary school is that some quantity of people, maybe a lot, are on the edge of mental and physical breakdown at any time. And if you ask them for help, they will do it and you will push them over the edge. And so mm. you better not ask. You better not ask for help. You better just hold your own. The other thing that happened was I saw most people holding their own. And I was like, hey, if they're all like handling it, then mm. I should be able to handle it. And if I can't handle it, I'm less than. So that's also something that I learned. So what I took away from vet school in this like burnout inducing time <laughs> was that I should have infinite compassion and I can't ask for help and that I have to hold my own. And I had that mentality going into my career. And so I was kind of skirting the line of burnout transitioning into terrible physical symptoms, mental physical breakdown, just kind of like on that edge for eight years. <laughs> and I didn't end up in the hospital because I was so skilled at suppressing these symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that in um, the podcast, frequently we have a lot of stories of people ending up in the hospital with undiagnosable illness and it turned out to be burnout or stress. And some of these doctors recognized it, but I didn't do that. I suppressed some pretty gnarly symptoms and then just like kept going. And I'm like, if I'm not in the hospital, I'm good. I'm going to keep going. When you say gnarly um, symptoms, what are you thinking about? So I had nightmares like every day <laughs> and I haven't had that since I was a small child. Um, I had chest pain that I knew as a doctor, that's very bad. Chest is bad. You should maybe go to the ER. And I went to the ER one night and told them I had chest pain and they triaged me and said I was stable and that I would, you know, wait to get seen because there's other more emergent cases. And after I waited four hours, I said, hey, I got to go home because I got to work early the next day. <laughs> and they said, please sign this AMA. You can't leave. Like, and I said, I'm going to leave. I will sign your form. And I just suppressed it. I, I was like, oh, I th I, the chest pain went away. I'm going to go back to work. Um. I also had this strange narcolepsy. So I would have a meal and then 30 minutes later, I would really like my body would try to shut down to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And if I could sleep for about 30 minutes when that happened, I would be fine. But most of the time I was doing something. So I would, I would push that down. Uh, or if I was driving, I was doing something dangerous. I would just stop. I'd pull over the side of the road and I would wait it out. Um, and it was just my body trying to turn on the digestive, like parasympathetic system. It was trying to turn on. And because it needed to turn on for so long, it just like went like hardcore. Like I need to go to sleep right now yeah. instead of like, I need to digest this food. Like I need to shut you down 
and I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing something. I'm busy right now. I'm busy right now. Come back later. I can't. I'm not going to deal with this. What about mental health symptoms? So the reason that I looked for burnout coaching or kind of like went through burnout recovery was my, my brain also had changes and I can tell now looking back, but at the time I could not tell. I, my amygdala was on fire. So we talk about neurochemistry a lot on the podcast, but it just means like my animal brains like on fire. It's turned on all the time. I feel fearful all the time being judged when maybe it wasn't happening and I judged others. I felt resentful. I was short with my family. I felt rage all the time, just emotions that wasn't part of my everyday before, but now is. Um, And what happened was the holiday season of 2021 was when I reached out to you, Mm -hmm. Kate. Um, And during that season, I went to a holiday party. And on the way back, I was in the car with my husband and he was driving and he made a comment about some traffic, some some kind of road rage-esque comment. And I, in my head, I was like, oh my God, is he going to crash the car? Is he going to put us in danger? He knows I don't like this kind of talk and he is trying to hurt me. And I need to go home and get under the covers immediately. Just ignore him, kind of put it out of my mind, get into a safe place. And when I got home, when he parked the car, I got out of the car and I fumbled for my keys to get in the house because I was so intent on getting into bed. It was so important. And I couldn't get the keys out. And I threw my bag on the floor, just like on the sidewalk and everything scattered. And I thought my husband would say, what's wrong with you? But he silently picked up everything off the floor, put it into my bag and then walked me back into the house. Hmm. And it was such an unusual behavior that suddenly I was like, wait a minute, why didn't he say anything? And he didn't say anything because I've been acting like that a long time. And he was used to it. He was used to me ignoring him, me shutting down, me sleeping, just like ignoring him. And then having these like fits of rage. So the week before that, Um, I was trying to turn the volume up on the TV and the receiver got blocked by a Christmas ornament and I ripped everything off the mantle, just like in a fit of rage. And I was like, this is not me. I don't normally act like this. This is what I remember most from our initial conversations. You were like, I just don't recognize myself. I don't know what the heck is going on. Like I know enough about health and therapy and things, but like, I'm, I'm not who I am and I don't know what to do about it I really finally recognized I wasn't who I am and I didn't know what to do about it but I had some ideas so (laughs) the the idea I had was and I'm sure a lot of you recognize this but I have to work harder so that was my solve um and it sounded really logical at the time so here we're gonna go through it so I thought if I worked harder, so if I worked six days a week for three more years, I would have enough savings to retire. Um, there is a financial community online called FIRE, 
It stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And what it is, is it is a community of people that try to retire early so they can then spend their time working on something else that maybe doesn't pay as much. So they have a formula that you can follow where you can find out the exact monetary amount you need so that you can live on the interest of this money just to feed yourself, just to pay for shelter and food. And whatever that number is, if you hit it, then you technically don't need to work anymore. And I thought, okay, this is the solve. I got to reach this number. And by doing that, I like I need to work harder for three more years. So that was going to be my plan. And I know it sounds crazy for burnout, but my brain wasn't working. <laughs> so I thought, okay, how am I going to execute this plan? I got to find ways to help myself not end up in the hospital so I can like achieve this. So I found fried. That's when I found fried. And I was like, hey, here are some suggestions, some ideas I could use to push myself into an equilibrium so that I could continue to work this hard and not end up in the hospital. Ironically, most episodes of are people who end up in the hospital, but <laughs> I thought I was different and that I was going to use these suggestions to be able to just work harder for the next three years. Um, and so I also, and I also had this plan that I was going to do it all by myself and for free. And it was very important <laughs> that <laughs> this happened also. Um, and I, so to that end, I listened to all the podcast episodes three times. Uh, that was a lot. She knows the podcast better than I do. I listened to every episode three times and I thought, okay, absorb, absorb, like absorb this stuff, please. And it didn't happen. And I wasn't better. It didn't feel better. I just, I couldn't get there, but I was still resistant. I didn't want to spend money. Um, and there's another reason too, which we'll get into later. But the reason I didn't want to spend money was because if I spent money, that would take away from my retirement. I would be further away from quitting my job if I spent money to help myself. Like, I can't do that. I have this monetary goal. Um, and so I can't spend money to, to help myself, um, but I can spend a little money. So I got the resentment journal. Um, and this was before I contacted Kate. I got the resentment journal and I was like, let me try this. It only costs, you know, a few dollars. It was nothing. It was just like, a, you know, a regular book. Um, so I did the exercises. And really what you're doing is you're writing down all your resentments. And on the first day, I was at Target. And I was trying to check out in line. And there was a person in front of me who was like trying to buy, I don't know, a computer game. And she's like, hey, can you price match this coupon I got from GameStop? And the checkout girl was like, yeah. Uh, let me ask my manager. And then she left. And I was like, oh no, this is going to take forever. Why did you do this? Like, like that is so, such a strange request. It's, this is not the store that you are in. I'm trying to check out. And I just like went crazy in my mind. Um, and I wrote down all my resentments about this person. And actually what I was there to do in Target was to buy something for work outside of work. And I was really resentful about that. I did not want to do that anymore. Um, so the resentment journal is 
ultimately about boundaries. It's using your resentment to build boundaries. So I built one boundary that day and it was not to do work stuff outside of work. Um, so I immediately canceled all of my continuing education courses and things like that. I just, I didn't want to go to event dinners. I didn't want to go to anything like that. I didn't want to shop for work outside of work. I just canceled all of those things. So you, so some of you that are listening might recognize this part of the process is as like Monica starting to do life pruning before we even started coaching. So she's, this is what we call life pruning in the process, right? We are cutting things out and getting rid of them to create more space for you. So she's doing this on her own. She did the resentment journal. She's realizing that she's resentful. She's making changes. Like we're on a good path. So I did I did feel better after I made that boundary. I felt a little bit better. And it was different than listening to the podcast three times. Mm. It was something where I did something active and I felt better. And I thought, wait a minute, if burnout coaching is like a hundred times this, then it's worth it. <laughs> um, so I thought it would be like burnout coaching would be some sort of magic bullet because if this helped me some, then I can see how burnout coaching could help me a lot. And that's when I hopped on a call with Kate. Um, the other thing that, the other reason why I didn't get better on my own was because I didn't think deep down any small thing that we discuss on the podcast to do, like buy a mug or like get a comfortable blanket. Um, buy some comfortable bras. Like these are all things I didn't think would heal me and mm. I didn't do them. And I didn't think they would heal me because the burnout felt so severe. Yeah. It felt like such a negative emotion, such a lack, such a pit. But how is a mug going to help? Yes. How is anything but do you remember going to help? The very first thing that I had you do? <laughs> The first this, I tell thing, this story all the time because it's was, like my favorite thing. Was it the values list? Nope. Oh, I can't remember then. It was your nightstand. Oh my gosh. <gasps> <laughs> and you, I remember being on the phone and you're being like, I paid you how many thousands of dollars to tell me to buy a new nightstand? Like, are yeah. you kidding me? Um, I'm like, what are you saying? So my nightstand yeah. it is or was um, a <laughs> like like a like a I think it was a triangle um and had many points to it and it was somehow a height where it was like in line with my eye and so I was sleeping on the bed and if I turned towards the nightstand it could really poke my eye but it has been there for like two years and has not poked my eye yet so I thought it's fine <laughs> and but we were talking I even about said safety. It. I even said yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. I said it to Kate. I was like, it hasn't put my eye out yet. I don't know what you're saying. And she's like, can you just get like a rounded like nightstand, please? This is how our first conversation went, everybody. So we were talking about increasing feelings of safety, right? And and how that's important because it allows your nervous system to rest. And I'm explaining these things to Monica, knowing that she understands what I'm talking about because she's a doctor. So she she understands the words that I'm using. She knows what I'm saying. And so we're talking about this nightstand. And I was like, I need your homework for week one is to go buy a round nightstand that is lower than your mattress. Please take a measurement 
and only buy one that fits in that space. And she was like, you are nuts. But you I bought that nightstand. Nice I yeah. bought it. And subsequently, I bought a nice mug. Yeah. And <laughs> I used the guest house for myself. Yes. And I bought some really beautiful bowls and plates. Mm. I just went like, mug was the start, but I just, my whole kitchen changed. She was um, like, I hate, I remember the day that you were like, you know what? <laughs> I hate my plates. And then you showed them to me on the camera. You're like, see how impractical this is? There's only this little space and they're beautiful, but you can't even fit any food on these things. <laughs> no. What is the use? Of uh, anyway. Right, I, but these little things matter. Un unbelievably matter. so. It did. And I just didn't believe it. And when I listened to these recommendations on the podcast, of course, we've all heard them, but I didn't believe it because how could a small thing help me where I was? I was, I felt like it needed to be a magic bullet of some sort, a huge thing to bring me out of this yeah. huge pit. I needed a huge solve, which is what I thought coaching was, but it wasn't that, but I still healed. And so we'll keep going. Yeah. Um, so what I learned from these little things, I did so many little things. Mm -hmm. I asked my husband to change light out in the bathroom, which we have not done for two years, but it aggravated me for two years. <laughs> um, and, and for some reason I wasn't going to do it. So like I had asked him to do it. Um, I bought a chair for work, mm -hmm. like a nice chair to sit in, which I was so against because work is what caused my burnout. It's the cause. I didn't want to improve what was already just sort of like appropriate. It seemed like, okay, nothing was comfortable about, about work because work isn't comfortable. And it was like appropriately matched. Like, why should I make that space better? nicer looking, more beautiful, more comfortable. Like it just didn't make any sense. But um, since I was paying for this advice, I better do it. That's what I thought. <laughs> and this is the difference between listening to the podcast. And I don't mean to say that if you can't afford coaching that you're not going to get better. It isn't that. This is my personal way to force a commitment was by mm. paying. Um, and this was the beginning of me paying for doctors and coaches, um, therapists to help me mm -hmm. and paying for this coaching paved the way for that because it, it was a commitment thing for me. Once yeah. I started paying, I was like, I better do this. So I did, even though it didn't seem like a very big change that I was expecting or looking for, it wasn't that, but I did feel different. And I yeah. felt better. And these small things seem like nothings, but they are something because of the values list that we had made in the beginning yeah. of our coaching. Um, and this was my specific magic bullet that I want to talk about, the values list. We made a values list of my personal values. And the first list that I had made <laughs> was just like- Bullshit? You know, yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a bullshit list. <laughs> And Kate saw it and she was like, um, Monica, this is a bullshit list. And I was like, what are you saying? Like, I worked so hard on this. Um, I think that was like one of my assignments in the beginning. Of it was. Yes, and, it was. Um, I, I followed exactly the outline. I don't know what you mean. 
And my, my values list originally was something like generosity, kindness, love, like just, just very generic things. And Kate's like, this is not you. This is, if I read this list, I don't know who you are. Mm. I am just reading a list of like traits of a Miss America pageant. Like that's exactly what I said. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like I I did this wrong. Oh, and it was terrible because I was like, oh, I have to redo this now. But I understood her prompt. Like, hey, make a values list where when I read it, I know who you are. And that was really helpful. So I rewrote my values list. And I kept rewriting them throughout my burnout recovery, even after seeing Kate. And uh, my two top, top values, number one was freedom. And it was freedom from obligation to others, which is like the literal opposite of people pleasing. It, like I was trying to value that, but I wasn't acting it like it. Um, and what I really mean is, it's not that I didn't want anyone to depend on me. It was more that if I was giving, I wanted to give from my heart and not out of a feeling of obligation. So back in that episode of people pleasing, that's exactly what that was about. Um, and so that was one of my top values. The other top value was beauty, mm -hmm. which was very strange to me. It was like, I can't believe that made the list. But that's why I got a nice mug and a nice chair and nice bowls and plates. Um, and later on, I threw out all my uncomfortable clothes and bought new ones. And things that looked beautiful to me, I bought instead of just commenting like, hey, I like that. Okay, like move on. Um, my house used to be very functional. It had everything in it and everything was beige or gray because I didn't, I just like didn't notice that beauty meant something to me. Yeah. I just needed functional things. Um, and I had well, them. Beauty so, feels like an extra, doesn't it? It does feel like an extra. But it's not an extra. It's it's my value. Yeah. And I didn't know that. So I'll never forget when you took me around your house the first time. <laughs> and you, you had the it wasn't even like you were trying to take me around your house. We we were walking around the house because you were like trying to connect to a cable or something. You were like, My computer's okay. gonna die, you know? And you're walking me around and I'm going Monica, I don't I know that I don't know you that well yet, but this house doesn't look like your personality. <laughs> it and didn't look like, like any personality. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying not to be I mean, I'm straightforward, no, but I was like, Monica, what is going on in there? It's just and functional. I have everything. It's functional and there was one other thing you said about it back then. Do you remember what it was? Neutral? It's, it's functional. And other people, when they come in, oh. will know that it's, like, clean and well done. And, yes. like, just, you know, so when, when people see it from the outside, they might not fall all over themselves about it. But it, at least it's not going to, like, bother anybody. Yes. It's the so house that neutral. you live in every day. <laughs> you're like, it's not going to bother anyone. I was like, bother anyone? Who gives a shit if you're bothering people with your wallpaper? Like, they don't live there. Yeah, what? it's so important that I don't bother anyone. <laughs> that I kept I, my walls that, beige. Yes, so it's neutral. Anyway, I yeah, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't celebrate anything about yeah. my my love of beauty. Yeah, and weirdly, when I did and started making these changes, it helped me out of burnout, and it was mm -hmm. very personal, and it won't 
be the same for everyone, this beauty right. thing. But um, what I learned was the values list was like a love language that I learned, a love language of self-care. So when I think about self-care and I've tried to do a lot of self-care things throughout the years and like, it's okay, but it didn't help me. And it didn't help me because it was just random self-care things. Take a bath, like, you know, light some candles, write in a gratitude journal, things like that. And, and it take was a just... bath and light candles. If one of your values is luxury. That's true. Then that's going to be something that actually supports your recovery. Right, right. And Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? CyFox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. It just, it wasn't my personal values, so yes. it didn't do a lot for me. And once I learned the values that I had, that really helped me figure out how to get out of burnout with the self-care that aligned with that. And that is the magic bullet. That has helped me over two years to come out of burnout. Just doing things for myself that aligned with my values and you can't do that when you don't know what they are. So it is important to yeah. um, to learn this about yourself. The other thing that I noticed with burnout coaching and its value is that I had someone who could mirror me, who could reflect back on me. And when I'm in burnout, I could not do anything except just answer some questions. Like I could not think of questions to ask. I could not reflect on myself. I had no curiosity about anything. I needed someone else to feel curious about me. I needed them to ask me questions that they're trained to ask so that I could answer and move out of the pit. Um, but if you asked me to do it, I could not at that time. And what I realized too was after about a year of burnout recovery, my brain turned back on. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you sent me an email when that happened. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my my brain turned back on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so that. So what that means is the creative part of my brain and the curious part of my brain was able to work again. And and it's very stark when that happens that you realize that it wasn't working for a long time. Yeah. Um, when that turned on, I could become more curious about myself. I can become more processing of my emotions and 
interoceptive and all of that. You can DIY recovery a little bit better. Yes, I could because I had the the brain capacity finally to do that. But prior to that, I could only react. And I needed people, coaches, therapists, acupuncturists, massage therapists. I needed them to ask me, how do I feel? Like, where is my pain? What is going on? And ask me these questions so that I could reflect on them because I did not have the energy or the mental capacity to do it on my own. And that is also very valuable to have that kind of reflection. And I don't mean to say that everyone needs like all these therapies. It's just something that I tried out because I needed that reflection back on me that I couldn't do. And Kate sent an email out during this time. And she's like, has anyone ever asked you to write in a gratitude journal and you couldn't and you just wanted to like cut a bitch that asked you to do that? (laughs) And I said, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And why? Why was that so hard? And it's so hard because when you're burnt out, you can't reflect on your day. Get out of here. Like, I'm so tired. (laughs) You want me to do extra mental work at the end of the day? No, no. I need to go to bed. Um, yeah. And, and be able to reflect meaningfully on the day and then like feel this feeling of gratitude when all I can feel is resentment. No, like I can't do these things. Um, being burnt out is special in the sense that you can't do anything and you need someone to just like mirror you. And so it's important to help you through this time until your brain turns back on and it will turn back on. Um, I read recently, though I'm sure it's been said in the podcast, when when your limbic system, like your amygdala turns on, it shuts off brain, like it shuts off blood flow to your prefrontal cortex. So the part of your brain that actually like functions to be in society, like does complex things, um, probably where your curiosity brain is and um, creativity and all those things, all those wonderful things, your brain just shuts that down. And when you're in that mode, like you need something else to bring you out and it's not working harder. <laughs> <laughs> working harder is not it the is answer. Not, it's not working harder. Well, and um, I think one of the things that for my own burnout recovery, I am maybe I'll put it this way. You guys, I have, we offer free office hours and we have the Facebook group and we have all these elements that, and and the podcast obviously is free. We have all these free elements for you because I myself am a DIY kind of person. I like Mm. Monica. When I realized at first that I was burnt out, I was like, well, I'm going to figure it out then. I have all this knowledge. I've read all these books. I'm a life coach. I'm an acupuncturist. I'm an herbalist. I can, I know everything, right? (laughs) So I can do this by myself. And part of my burnout recovery was a understanding that I had taken myself as far as I could without someone else's help. Like Mm. I had written my story well enough and I needed an editor now and I just couldn't edit it myself anymore. I was still just reading the same old things. Everything was on repetition and I wasn't making any progress. So like the first thing was a like. I actually have taken this as far as I can, and I can't do it by myself anymore. That was part number one. And part number two, for me personally, and we talked about this a little bit too, was I had to agree 
to spend money on myself without thinking about how it was going to benefit anyone or anything else around me. And I was only accustomed to making financial decisions that benefited everyone and Mm. over everyone but myself. So part of my burnout recovery personally was understanding that it was okay to spend money on me. It was, let me tell you how hard it was. Yes. Oh my gosh. But this was really a difficult thing for me to understand, but it is actually part, not only part of the decision to do coaching, but it is also part of your recovery saying, I am worth spending some money on, whether it's me or anybody else. I'm not, I'm not selling my coaching right now. I'm just saying whether it's me or somebody else or therapist or EMDR or whatever it is that you want to do, I am worth spending my hard earned money on before my daughter gets a new alarm clock or my, you know, like before I, whatever else it is, like whatever other things that we're spending money on all the time that we're not really thinking about too carefully. I, when I am spending money on me, I consider it a thousand times over. So making the decision to spend the money was a moment of self-care. I completely agree with that. And I had to break that barrier too. And the coaching was that because it was a large chunk. And I had to give up my dream of retiring early. Um, Not completely, but like I really was moving away from it. I was like, hey, let let me try to invest in myself for a moment um like what good is fire if i'm dead right so when i was burnt out my ultimate best life dream was to just take naps so i was hoping that at the end of my work journey in life that i would just be able to nap on the couch and nap in my bed and like nap on the beach in Mexico, which I did actually as yes. during our, our, yes, um, our coaching time. time. Um, but like, and like nap on the airplane and just sort of like have these naps and that I could not think of a better life, more fulfilling for my time here on earth than that. And that is just like, I could not think of a better outcome. And it's not because I wanted to like it wasn't a depression thing. It, like I felt like that was like a hedonistic thing that I I, I was pleasurably taking naps forever. <laughs> that was what I wanted. Pleasure naps um, are us. Yes. And how can I achieve that the fastest way possible? Well, I got to work harder for three more years. So that was that was like my goal because yeah. my burnout brain just needed naps. It could not think of anything better or more to do with my life than that. And now that I am better um i i have so much more that i can do in this life that i want to do um and and you're still working at your job i'm still working at my job and i thought in the back of my mind like okay if this burnout coaching wasn't going to work out like i got to have a plan b and my plan b was to like of course work harder and quit my job but the other possibility that came to me because of coaching was, hey, I could I could take this stepwise too. I can step down the amount of time that I work just incrementally, just like I incrementally help myself get better from these little things I was doing around the house. And how can I do that? Well, I got 
um, onto the Facebook community. And that is such a great resource, by the way. It really helped me not feel alone. So helpful. Um, and people gave me ideas about my problems. So um, <laughs> one guy said, hey, you know, if you get a doctor's note, you might be able to take mental health leave. Like you have a break. And I'm like, oh, what? And I reread my contract and my work contract allowed for two months of mental health leave if I got documentation. It was amazing. I just glazed over it when I was reading, I guess, when I first signed on to this job. Because you were never going to take that because you are the ideal physician who is compassionate, has infinite space. Yeah, the, the, infinite the, the, compassion, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, how can I do that? And how can I do that to others and make them work harder? Oh, no, yeah. this is not going to happen. But the fact that that was in my contract, that that was an option for me at any point, that was so helpful just to know, like, that's possible. Because at the time... I was hoping that I would catch COVID so I can have two weeks off. Like that's where my brain was. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, let me like, let me try to work less because like work is still part of the problem. Like I'm, I'm not, not acknowledging that. Like there is, I got to work less just to help myself come out of burnout and just to help myself in general. And I started working three to four days a week instead of four to five days a week. And it was very scary to announce that that's what I was going to do, knowing that other people had to work harder because of this. But at the same time, it was an incremental decrease in what I was doing. I didn't quit. I didn't do part-time work. I It was still full-time, actually. Um, but I just worked less. And I thought after I announced it, and after I started doing less work, there would be a barrage of just like criticism and shame and all of that. And I waited for people to just like say something, but nobody told me I was a bad person. Nobody said I should be ashamed of myself for wanting to work a little bit less. Even my clients were like, well, I'm sad, but like, I'll still see you. Um. I'm sad you don't have as many office hours, you know, but I'll still see you. And I just, I was waiting for just all the things in my head that I thought would happen. I was waiting for that to happen, but it didn't. Temporarily, my colleagues did need to work harder. That that did happen. Um, but what happened was they normalized over time. They either decreased the amount of work coming in and so that they could handle it, or they hired somebody else. And it wasn't up to me to hold everyone up like that. And all of this talk is was just me moving one day less, like a week. And still but, working full time. Still actually still being working, full time. Yes. Still, so still so full time. everybody is clear. Monica was not working 40 hours a week when she decided to, to reduce in time. She was working more than 40 hours a week. So she's when she says three or four days a week, she's not talking about three or four, six hour days. No, they were like 10 to 12 hour days. Right. So we're still working full time, if not more than full time, even on the decreased schedule. Because a lot of times people get caught up in like, I can't recover from burnout if I'm still working. And I, I try to convince people that they can. And then they say, well, everyone you interview, you know, quit their job. I mean, some of them, <laughs> some of them quit their job. Some of them ended up in the hospital and literally couldn't function. Some people kept their jobs. Some people took time off. There's all different versions. But you were working full time. I was. 
And I felt guilty about it. I, everybody else worked for five days. I don't, you know, like why, why am I special that I asked to work less and am working less? Um, and there's a lot of guilt around that. And that makes it hard to do, like to physically just do less, like take less days. Um, How long did that guilt last? It lasted probably a couple of months. It lasted definitely through the time where I saw other people work harder. Oh, that was not, that wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and it, I saw people trying to shift and figure out, figure things out yeah. um, without me working that extra day. And um, that was hard. And then when they normalized, then I felt better. But it also, I felt better to see that that is what happens. Right. So it really helped me. Um, later on when I actually took one day less and between working three to four days a week and now working two to, now I work two to three days a week. And how that happened was when I moved down a day, um, my employer said, Hey, whenever, like, whenever you feel like you want to go back to your old schedule, please let me know. And I said, what? <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to shame me. And no they they didn't shame me first of all and they wanted to give me an opportunity to go back whenever i wanted to my old schedule this was a like a revelation for me because i suddenly realized like i could design any work life i want because i could go back to the old way if i wanted they still wanted me mm -hmm. they wanted me for that time and I could go back. It's reversible. My decision was reversible. Mm -hmm. And most decisions are, but we don't think of it that way. We think like this is going to be forever. If I do this, how do I afford it? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to get paid less. And like, how do I handle that other people are working harder? And like, this is going to be forever, but it's not. You have the opportunity to go down in work days or work hours and you can always go back if things went poorly for whatever reason on your side, you just like, hey, you know what? I need to adjust. Um, I, I fantasized about working one day a week, but I couldn't make it financially work. <laughs> um, but I knew that that is an option, I guess, if I wanted to change my finances. There, there were ways to make that happen, and it wasn't permanent. I could always go back to my old schedule. And I feel that, and I have no evidence for this, but I feel that that might be the case for most of your listeners. A lot of people are listening and they're saying, not me. Not me. And but... maybe, maybe 20% of the 25,000 people that will listen to this episode are correct, maybe. But 80% mm -hmm. of the people that are listening that are saying, not me, there's they actually have more agency and more power than they realize. I, I really believe that. Because... Yeah, me too. I've seen it over and over and over oh, again, good. over and over again, especially when people say, well, that's not possible for me. That's not possible for me. That's not possible for me. Three months later, turns out, oh, look. Yeah. And I think I think what I'd like to point out is by you decreasing your time and then there has to be this adjustment period at your workplace. One of the things that you are actually helping long term is everyone else's workload, even though it goes up in the beginning. They learn to adjust it and you're modeling when you are 
playing the hero still and holding up all these extra hours that you can't really carry, what you're doing is modeling behavior for other people. And they're the ones looking at you saying, why am I broken? She can handle it. Right. So that is what you stopped doing was contributing to burnout culture. And that's yeah. helpful long term. I'm glad. I'm glad that I contributed to helping. Right. Um, like eventually yeah. that helps because it models for people that all these assumptions that they're making are not necessarily true. I I do believe that. And I also believe that this burnout family, we burn out because we care mm -hmm. and because we are not afraid of hard work. And I and we all have like boundary issues and like people pleasing all of this, but at our core, we are ideal employees and anyone would be happy to, to have us for whatever time and allowances that we dictate because we really care. And like, it is so much to have someone like that on your team and you don't burn out because you don't have work ethic. Like you, you care and you work hard and people want you back. And, and if so, they don't, if they don't, that you tells you a can, lot. It does. And you can find a place that does. Yeah, exactly. And it is out there. Yeah. Um, and anyone will be lucky to have you in the capacity that you have to work. And I, because I, I saw this flexibility and it still, I didn't do it right away. I did it like one year at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I decreased my days down um, until I found an equilibrium that worked for me. And now I don't need to work harder for three more years. I can work this level long-term and I can work until I want to retire and not out of burnout, but just because I, I want to give. And this is how much I want to give not four to five days a week. Um, and it's, yeah. it takes a while and it, it takes a lot to overcome what it, what it takes to ask for that time off and to actually take it. And I want to just say to everyone that if there are problems with this, you can still reverse your decision. You can, um, and it's not permanent and you can give it a try for a few months. And if it doesn't work out, you go back or you find a different job. Um, I also wanna say something about entrepreneurs versus employment. Um, I actually had my own business for a little while during COVID um, and I shut it down so that we could move house across the country. And I have to say there is something about employed work that I have to highlight and I know this sounds strange to an audience of mostly entrepreneurs, but Sometimes it's okay to decrease your responsibility load and become an employee for just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know that's not yourself and and I understand that, but taking down a little bit of responsibility so that you have time and energy to help yourself heal, that's important. And when your curiosity part of your brain turns back on and that creative part turns back on, you can be the best entrepreneur. And if you just need to pay your bills, there might be an easier way for the time being that you're recovering. 
Amen. And that's something. That's something that you guys, I didn't pay her to say any of this, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so, so true. We we were having this discussion on the office hours recently and somebody was saying, well, I could take an easier job, but I don't want a minimum wage job. And we were saying, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of space from where you were to a minimum wage job, but we're, we're saying easier. We're not saying go from being a high level corporate worker or being a very successful entrepreneur to bagging groceries. Not that there's anything wrong with bagging groceries. My mother bagged groceries for a long time in my life. So there's like, but that's not the only option. There's a lot of things in between. And so let's not go, let's not create these extreme scenarios where it's either I have this job that gives me the exact amount of money that I enjoy, or I have a job that won't pay me at all. Like there's a lot of space in between those two ideas. There are, and you can slowly change up your job life and you can slowly also change up your financial life. Um, And I do give up some things so that I could have this work life balance that I have now and it's worth it. And it took me a while to figure that out. Um, But you don't have to go from zero to a hundred. You don't have to go to a minimum wage job. There are so many things in between and you can test all of them out, not quickly maybe, but you can, and you can figure out what's right for you. And what's right for you might be right for the moment also. Mm-hmm. And it may not be for you long-term, but just because you think about it like it's long-term, like don't shut off those options. It's possible. It's possible to work less. It's possible to do less. And you can still come out on the other side. And you can still recover from burnout. I do have actually. I de- this is my last thought, but it's like it's coming up to it. All right, let's do leading it. up to it. Okay, you ready? Okay, yes. last thought. Um, and I haven't heard this in the podcast before, but I wanted to just say, almost every time we talk about how slow the recovery is, mm. um, that it takes eighteen months, two years, three years, to get better. And everyone's like, please, let me just do it in a couple of months. I don't understand. (laughs) And I want everyone to think about this just for a moment from a wider timeline perspective. Learning the skills that it takes to recover from burnout. It took me about two years. But I've been burnt out for eight years prior to that. (laughs) And I would have been skirting the line of burnout slash mental, physical breakdown for another, I mean, in my, in my brain, three years, but really it's going to be like 10, 20 years, 30 years. You have 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ahead of you of not just paid work, but maybe volunteer work, work you want to do. And two years is nothing. It is not that long at all. When you think about how long you've been in burnout, which for many of you I know has been many years, and how long you will continue to be in burnout if you don't learn the skills of recovery. It's it's so long, it's so many years that 18 months, two years in comparison is nothing. Yeah. Take the time to invest in yourself to learn these skills it's, it's not to say that I will personally not burn out again. Of course I will. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> you might not. I, I, I don't know. I think you'll catch yourself. I that's the I thing. Have, I, I have, have the skills now. Yeah, I have faith that you'll catch yourself. I have the skills now. And sometimes, I, sometimes it is that you know, like what it, you're in a position now where you can control some of your working hours and things are, you know, whatever they are, but then, you, you know, things like COVID happen and everything gets thrown up in the air. Like mm. sometimes we don't control the external reasons why we get thrown into more work or a more intensive emotional state or something else. And knowing that you have the skills to move through that when it comes up, because we are in most of us, the like what our age i'm 42 this year so my life expectancy is like another 42 years i'm halfway through my life i have 42 years left to live what are the chances that in the next 42 years nothing major is going to happen in the world that i'm going to have to like manage in my life you know yeah it's it's going to happen it's going to yeah. happen and now that i have these skills it's not to say that it won't happen to me again but I can come out of it faster. I'm confident yeah. I can. I have yeah. these skills and I wish that for all of you. And I want you to just for a moment, think about it as not that long. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I love the reframe. Marga, I'm so happy to, first of all, hear how you're doing now. Second of all, know that the work that we did I mean we knew that I, I know that it continues after we finish and we've been in touch you know kind of the whole time so I knew that things were going well but I'm just so happy to hear a, a wider version of your sort of post burnout space now I, yeah. I loved hearing it I think it's really cool and I'm I, I love the fact that we started with here, do this core value sheet and also buy a round fucking nightstand, please. <laughs> and that's what, right, the guest towels and the plates and the bowls, they were, these were all really important things. So you guys, one of the reasons that when we do one-on-one -on -one coaching, we don't have like a very clear structure is because I don't know what you're going to show up with. I don't know if you're going to need a new nightstand or a new best friend. Like, I, I don't I don't know before you show up. So there's a lot of space in one-on-one -on -one coaching for extreme customization. That being said, the group coaching program does have a structure because it does allow you the space to build all of these skills at like, there's it's like a getting them all as bricks and building a little foundational wall, a little retaining wall, for yourself to protect yourself. And if that's what you can do for yourself and you work well in groups, then the group coaching program is an excellent place to do it at a much lower rate than one-on-one -on -one coaching, if we're being frank. So there are options out there. And if you can't use any of those, then instead of just listening to the podcast three times, take one thing from each podcast and put it into action. Anything that resonated with you, try and make that shift. Try and try and do it in real life. Stand in target and make a decision about a boundary. It might just slowly but surely actually change your life. And upcoming next week, I have already recorded before Monica and I got on, which I, I don't always plan this, but I love when it works. Next week, I created an episode, a Straight From Kate episode for you on how to figure out on your own, how to start your burnout recovery. And it is a set of journal prompts of questions. You were saying, I couldn't even think of the questions. And I was like, oh, she is teeing this up perfectly. <laughs> so next week, I set up a set of powerful questions. You can just listen to the episode if you want and write down the questions, press pause, write them down. But I have also created a PDF that you can go on and grab and download. 
if you want those powerful questions and you don't want to have to think about it. That will all be available after next week when next week's episode comes out. But just so you know that that's what's coming because sometimes you just can't. You can't think up those questions. You don't even know where to focus your brain. You don't know what's coming up. So that's coming. Monica, thank you so much. And I'm so proud with you. Me too. I'm so glad I got this opportunity. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad to have you. All right, Fried Fam. We'll see you next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side. Plus all the folks at Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.